As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. G, 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 take me away. G, 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 take me today. Welcome to another episode of the Gary Hour. I am your host, Gary Levitt, where each week I talk to interesting people about the things that matter most to them and me. <laughs> this week, I talked to AJ Jacobs, who is a best-selling author, New York Times style. He's got not one New York Times best-selling book, but four. They include My Life as an Experiment, The Year of Living Biblically, where he lived each day according to the Bible, Drop Dead Healthy, where he went on a quest to become the healthiest man alive, and The Know-It-All, where he read the entire encyclopedia A to Z. Well, AJ's got a new book that I read, and it is great. It's called Thanks a Thousand, and he tries to thank every single person that went into making his morning cup of coffee. And it turns out that's thousands of people. We'll get into that and more. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a musician, a podcaster, filmmaker, voiceover artist, or if you just make videos, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments because they have an app that'll make your life easier and your productions better. Okay, before we get to my conversation with AJ, I've got a little thing I want to throw out to the ether for Bed Bath & Beyond. Hey, Bed Bath & Beyond, if you're listening, I've got a stand-up bit that I want to make into a commercial for you. It always works. If you want to see the video, go to my YouTube channel, Gary Gary Levitt. I'm Gary Gary Levitt everywhere on the internet. Very easy to find. Hope you enjoy this stand-up bit from the Greenwich Village Comedy Club. Did you guys know that Bed Bath & Beyond is a lifetime return policy? Yeah, lifetime return policy. Our whole lives. Everything we own, we can return it. I'm so, I'm so holding those guys to it. It's all going back. Everything I own is going back. My blankets are going back. My pillows are going back. I will return my death bed. It's all 
I'm keeping all the receipts. I'm stapling them to my will. Like a maniac. It's all going back. It's gonna be like I never existed at all. I think that's what they mean by the beyond. It's all going back. People, people used to ask me, they'd be like, Gary, would you want to live forever? And I'd be like, I, forever? I, I, I don't have enough underwear. But now that I know about this return policy, yes, I do. You're going to see me in 400 years, I'm going to walk into a bed, bath, and beyond, like, can I return this coffee cup? Just to see how far I can stretch this return policy. My set is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond. I tried this bit at a show the other night, and uh, after the whole comedy show was over, this woman's walking up to me, I'm getting excited, you know, I'm thinking she's gonna compliment me for my art. And she goes to me, was that true in there? Was that true? Bed Bath & Beyond has a lifetime return policy? How sad is that? <laughs> I mean, that woman sat for a whole comedy show, and that is her ticket. Haha, that was my Bed Bath & Beyond bit. Hope you enjoyed that. But most of all, I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with AJ Jacobs, whose book, Thanks a Thousand, just came out. Available Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold. Enjoy my conversation, and thank you for listening. Something's moving. That's good. Okay. Look at that. It's got the thousandth of the second. That is. It's beyond the impressive. moment. <laughs> <laughs> the micro moment is being recorded. Oh my God. Okay. I love it. All right. AJ Jacobs, you have quite the bio. Well, thank you, Gary. So do you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't turn this podcast around. This is. <laughs> So you've written, you, you're a, a writer and a, an immersion journalist. Sure, that's what some people call me, and uh, I'm happy with it. Yeah, you do these uh, life experiments. All right, you read every book of the encyclopedia. Right, from A to Z. From A to Z, you lived one year of your life as the Bible tells you to do. Right, Old Testament, all the laws. And you somehow stayed married throughout all of this. <laughs> Barely, but yes. I think what's most amazing is beyond your writing is that your wife stayed with you i am very lucky that way and i get a lot of she gets a lot of emails saying uh, she, you know she does uh, huh? uh, yeah which i'm happy with and she makes a good like um i'm very happy i married her uh not just because i i do love her but she's also a great character like she is a great foil so she uh, like i couldn't have written a better fictional character yeah I, it does it, i mean it makes me curious about her because you lived with you must have been so dirty living a, a year as the bible <laughs> tells you to do well the bible does not forbid showers but yeah you look dirty certainly because the bible says you cannot shave the corners of your beard right and i didn't know where the corners were so i just let the whole thing grow and i look not you know i look ted kaczynski like i look uh, no mixing fabrics. Yes, no mixing fabrics. So you had to wear clothes made of just one fi fiber, like you know, no poly cotton blends. So I had to get rid of those. 
Um, but yeah, she didn't mind that as much as the beard. She was really offended by the beard, mm-hmm. which, um, which I did wash. I did shampoo it, but she wouldn't kiss me for seven months. Seven, seven months. months. Yeah. No, like no physical contact. She really hated the beard that much. Huh? She did. Well, she was also pregnant. So she was like, I'm not in the mood. Mm, so yes, you, you, well, you are fruitful. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> that is the first commandment in the Bible before the Ten Commandments. Were you religious before this? No, not at all. Uh, I was. I grew up, as I say in the, in the book. I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. Right. So, right. No, I had no bar mitzvah, no seder's, but I had a kid, and I wanted to know what to teach him about religion. You know, is is there anything to it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought I'm going to dive in and live my life by the Bible, see what I learn. Right. And uh, I, I didn't see this anywhere. Is it Old Testament that you did? It is mostly Old Testament. Yeah. I, I also spent uh, some time with the New Testament, but uh, the Old Testament is where all of the, the fun laws That's are. That's the crazy one. That's the crazy one. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I tried to be balanced because I do think there are <laughs> there are some wonderful things about uh religion and the bible yeah like community and loving your neighbors and embracing the outcasts but there's also flat out insanity mm-hmm, like right. uh stoning adulterers and uh so i wanted to show both sides i wanted to show don't take the bible literally that's crazy right. don't be a fundamentalist because otherwise you will be walking around looking like uh i looked and you will be uh I mean, one of my favorite laws that I was able to follow mm-hmm. that I actually think is a good law in retrospect, it's uh, the Bible says, if two men are in a fight and the wife of one of those men grabs the testicles of the other man, <laughs> then you have to cut off her hand. Uh, this is in the Old Testament. That is word for word what's in the Old Testament. Now I see why they revised it to make the New <laughs> Testament. <laughs> what What is the deal with the New Testament? Why? How could you just take a holy book and rewrite it and say, oh, that, don't pay attention to that old one. We meant this. Well, I, they don't say don't pay attention as much. Some parts they say you can ditch, but uh-huh. they sort of see it as a prequel. Like the New Testament is the main event, but the Old Testament is pretty important. So it's like Star Wars, Return of the Jedi kind of thing? Uh, Yes, I think that is a perfect analogy. But most people don't (laughs) pay attention to the Old Testament these days. True. Well, I mean, it's interesting just doing this. uh, Maybe uh, in our circles, that's true. But millions, millions of people take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, just looking at... um, that 40% of Americans, this was the latest poll I read, still believe in young earth creationism and uh-huh. that the earth is 5,000 years old. Oh, evangelicals kind of. Right, evangelical. Yeah. And um, and so that's Old Testament. Uh, and that was part of my 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 point. It's like, you don't have to believe every every word of the Bible literally for it to have meaning for you. So yeah, I mean, just... I loved talking to these creationists, not because I agreed with them. Mm -hmm. I totally disagree. But it was fascinating to see the motivated reasoning that they had. Like they had in their mind that God created the world 6,000 years ago. And they. Despite what science says. Despite what 99.999% of legitimate scientists says. But they. they are so, you know, they're not dumb people, but they were able to come up with these mental gymnastics 
to prove their point. And uh, did, did you end up in a lot of debates or conversations while you were doing this uh, experiment? I did. Well, I didn't try to go in as a debate. I tried to go in to interview them and get their point of view. Like, I imagine a lot of them were affronted by it. Well, it was weird. Uh, there were some people offended, but I, it was far more, uh, people were far more open because I did, I tried to go in with like, you know, I'm just doing this. I'm not trying to judge. I'm just doing, seeing what's in the Bible. And, um, and it was funny because when the book came out, it was fascinating to see people's confirmation bias again, mm -hmm. because people who were atheists read the book and came and wrote me or told me, thank you for showing us how bonkers the Bible is and right. like how nuts these rules are. But then I would get some religious people who said, thank you for uh, showing me the good side of religion and, you know, you helped me connect. But with... what about the part of grabbing the balls and throwing <laughs> stones at the person? <laughs> well, I think the people uh, think that grabbing the balls, don't, uh, don't grab balls is a, is a, a good piece of wisdom. I mean, it's not up there with don't thou shalt not kill. Right. But don't grab. I guess, you know. But it says to grab the balls or you can grab the balls. No, no, no. Oh, it says don't grab the balls. Yeah, maybe I. But you can throw rocks. Yes. You should stone adulterers. Not just adulterers, though. I mean, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, it's there's a long list of people to stone. There's uh, astrologers. Uh, you should stone astrologers. Yeah, and right. I, I it's did a false god. Yeah, false god. Right. Uh, and Sabbath breakers and children who disappear their parents are uh, are supposed to be. Well, I I definitely wield that at home. And, uh, <laughs> Wait, yeah. what can you do to children that disobey their parents? Oh, you take them to the gates of the city and stone them to death. You can. Yeah. No, that's as a, as you as a father, I'm sure you didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> i didn't do that. well it was interesting yeah but, uh the parenting advice because some you know the bible that's one thing i i, I want to i i thought was a big point like the bible is not a monolith it was mm -hmm. written by dozens of people right so some parts are wonderful and you know some parts love your kids and love your neighbors but then there are all these parts written by i think people who were you know obviously had yeah. mental issues mm -hmm. and uh the the proverbs say that you should hit your kid with a rod with a stick don't spare the rod spoil don't spoil the child uh and use a rod to so okay him. so the bible's telling you to beat your children right that's exactly what it says but the laws are telling you you cannot <laughs> beat your children <laughs> That was, exactly, that was the complication. And I would try to find ways around it. So, for instance, for the beating the kids part, my kid was, like, really young at the time, like two or three, and I would, um, I bought a Nerf uh, rod, like uh -huh. a bat that was covered in Nerf, <laughs> yes. and I went and I just whacked him when he was bad, and he thought it was hilarious. Right. And he would run and go get, like, a wiffle bat from the closet and just start wailing on me. Yeah. And I was like, damn, this is not the proper message. Uh, but there are people who still beat their kids. They... I, I don't think they sell it anymore, but a few years ago they sold a, a biblical rod. You could buy it that was like, you know, for for hitting your kids. Well, like a holy a holy rod for beating your children. Yeah, I don't know if they said it was holy, <laughs> but they were like, this is, uh, this is biblically approved. Was the year of living biblically the toughest 
life experiment you did? I do think so, in some senses. Others, in, in this sense it was, in that I had, to change every, I had to change the way I looked with the beard and dressed with, like, I wore a white robe because mm-hmm. the Bible says you should only wear white. Uh, so you're, you're always wearing a, ro- a white robe. I looked like Tom Wolfe, but with a robe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the way I spoke, I couldn't covet or lie or gossip. And I live in New York City, as, work as a journalist, so that's like, you know, 80% <laughs> of my day. How was it, uh, you must have had very different reactions from strangers, just you walking down the street. Oh, yeah. Well, it was a real lesson in first impression, how much... Uh, of life is based on our looks. Right. And I guess Facebook has really unfortunately emphasized that. But people's reactions, uh, I mean, and they varied. The, they ran the gamut. So some people, they saw this guy and they would cross the street to avoid me, like take their kids. Other people, it was very nice. They thought I was homeless and would give me money. So uh-huh. I made, which I would then donate. I felt like, biblically, I should donate to charity. Right. So I didn't like make a lot of money panhandling, <laughs> inadvertent panhandling. Were you tempted? Was it actually kind of lucrative? Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't think. I made like, you know, maybe 10, 12 bucks. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> In a year, that's not very good. <laughs> yeah, not, I wouldn't recommend. But then the, um, but there were other people who had the opposite reaction. They were, you know, since I sort of looked spiritual and holy because mm. uh, I, right. I looked like a religious person they would that archetype of the wise man with the beard exactly yeah. so they would like feel i got some friends who were like i just feel like i can't curse around you i feel like i should i need to act morally around you interesting I, right it's like they say uh people with fatter faces are funnier oh i didn't know that people people feel warmer around them and people with narrow faces like mine people like Oh, he's mean. <laughs> I have a very narrow face, too, so we're both I try mean. to puff out my cheeks before I go on oh, stage. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Just shove some cotton in there, and yeah. you will do much better. <laughs> I do my best Louis Armstrong impersonation. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting, the uh, stereotypes we have about uh, people's weight and the jolly, the jolly fat person. Yeah, uh, I'm not really sure if that's nature or just something that's nurtured by the characters that we grew up with. Right, you know? exactly. It could uh, be just something inherent in the human psyche. Right. I was thinking, uh, you know, Halloween was recently like, ha- when, when will it be not okay to dress as a fat person? Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, that is cultural appropriation of, of being fat. Like, you know, that... The, right, the fat suit. The fat suit is not, uh, yeah. Yeah, or dressing as a carrot. <laughs> the carrot lobby is strong. <laughs> yes. Uh, Carrots have feelings, too. <laughs> so, I, I mean, actually went to a philosophy conference where we discussed, do plants have feelings? Uh-huh. Well, they say plants do if you're mean to them. They've done these tests where if you yell and you're mean to a plant, <laughs> it... <laughs> I would like to see those studies. I'd like to see them replicated. What, what did you learn in this? Uh, well, I mean, the yeah. idea was they don't probably have, they don't have a nervous system like us. But uh-huh. the question is how, how do we know thing? You know, it was, it was all about how do we know what we know? Right. And, uh, and, and what we're, we're only we, using our own yardstick. You true. know, we're using a human yardstick. Maybe we don't know how to relate to a plant. They're on a totally different, you oh, know, yeah, absolutely. We can't measure that. By the way, I'm sorry to veer off. It's okay. But I figure you're okay. I've listened to your show. 
I watched Harry Potter, the movie, the second movie with my kids mm-hmm. last weekend. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where there are these plants uh, that have some magic potion in them. I forget. Wait, what were they? I forget what kind of plants they were. But they would pull them out, and it would look like a screaming baby when they pulled them out. Do you uh-huh. remember that scene at all? I do not. I did not see Harry Potter. It was so <laughs> disturbing. Yeah. Because it was like, obviously, these, these plants have... Uh, the ability to feel pain they're screaming mm-hmm. and they look like people and these the kids were just having a great time uh pulling these screaming plants out of, and it's like human nature what kind yeah well wizard nature <laughs> right <laughs> it was like you you sadistic mother yeah it's like <laughs> jesus so you also did a, a life experiment where you couldn't lie that's true. I did a, and it was an article. It was like ten years ago. Now. How long did you not lie for? It was a couple of months, and it started. It was because I had read about a, a movement called radical honesty, right? And it was started by this psychologist in Virginia, who's mm-hmm. a wacko. I love him, <laughs> and uh, Brad Blanton, and he believes that you should never lie. Mm-hmm. But he goes further than that. He says whatever's on your brain should come out of your mouth, like no filter. So, you know, the whole, the classic, uh, I think you look, your ass looks fat in that dress, say it. Okay, there's a difference between radical honesty and saying every thought that's in your mind. Right. But he doesn't believe so. He said, he believes suppressing your Uh thoughts is a form of lying. Uh Aha. So you got to say it. Like if you are fantasizing about your wife's sister, tell your wife and tell the sister. Wow. And I was like, and he believes, you know, it's not just sadistic. He believes this will create a better society. This will be authentic. I I do see the merits of the radical honesty, but there's also tact. Yes. Well, that was sort of what I discovered. It was very interesting. I mean, there are, there are huge downsides, but also upsides. I mean, the downsides are quite obvious. It was like, it was hell because you, know, you would what, what's the worst thing that happened to you with this radical honesty well i remember we were at a restaurant and we saw some friends of my wife's who uh she hadn't seen since college and they were all excited to see us and or see her and said oh we should all get together and have a play date with our kids and i had to say what was on my mind which was <laughs> you know you seem nice enough but I just really don't have interest in seeing you again. You said that out loud to them. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they like laughed nervously and they were like, and then they were offended, rightfully so. And my wife was hugely pissed off and it was horrible. So like, I don't recommend that. So what happened after that? Well, we never saw him again. So did she apologize to them for you? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if she ever did. Did she she explain that you were doing this experiment? She, uh, I can't remember whether we had time before they left. I think that she did, yes. That does take a little of the edge off of it, but not totally. I mean, (laughs) it's still pretty harsh. So I don't recommend that because that's sort of the brutal honesty side. But there are parts of it that were wonderful because it's liberating. First of all, you don't have to remember all your lies. Like, that takes a lot of energy. Absolutely. The, The clarity of conscious. Yeah. You know, you just flow you get you get in the flow of things you do and i mean it's like like, you know when i say you know i i am free that night but i just don't feel like going out Mm -hmm. then 
There is something. It's a little rough when you say it, but it's liberating because it's true. And it's also, you don't have to remember, oh, I pretended to be sick that day. It's also really good for a marriage. I think a lot of relationships in general, whether they're romantic or friendly, communication is always the cause of all the problems. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost always the root. Yeah. People forget to communicate. True. So what you're doing is just blasting those gates of communication <laughs> wide open. I would say keep, you want to keep them partially closed. Yes. Not everything to be communicated, <laughs> but a good amount. I mean, I, I, I do think I am. Um, I also think this actually does help with marriage and life in general is being radically honest when you mess up. Mm. And I love that. Like, could you give an example? Well, I mean, I just think when I started my career and I would make a mistake, I would do everything I could to cover it up and not tell my bosses. Right. And now, if I make a mistake, I am right out front. Like, if I write an article or I write a book uh, that has a a factual error, I am not going to hide it. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, and I do that, you know, when I do interviews and I say, like, in my... In my book on uh, health, you know, there were some, there were some things that no longer are true. So I'm not going to pretend that, you know, there's been studies questioning whether flossing is ah. actually. And I have this section in my book about flossing will save your life because yeah. at the time that's what the study said. So just being honest, you know, no one's perfect. Uh, reveal your flaws and you will feel liberated. Wait, is flossing good or bad now? Well, (laughs) it's got to be good. I don't want to get in trouble with the ADA because those guys are (laughs) harsh. But it's, well, it's listening. It feels like it would be good for you. Like you feel like you're doing something. Mm -hmm. But there, and uh, and it is possible that it is healthy. But the the meta study that I read most recently said there is no uh, formal proof yet that it will uh it's gotta be good i mean <laughs> if, if i'm yeah. flossing and i pull a big piece of cookie out of <laughs> between my teeth i mean that's gotta be good to get that out well you say that but that's the way that, i mean that's the same argument as colonics like uh-huh. colonics have to be good because you're getting all that shit out and they're not there's no like it's not good the body cleans itself the body you don't need to shoot water up your ass <laughs> To clean your ass. The body does it. Watch so maybe, out. The colonic people are going to come at you. The, I'm ready for them because I am. I got a colonic as part of my health book. And, you did, huh? And listen, if you enjoy it, if it's something that like feels good to you, mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, go for it. Just have fun. But don't claim that it's like going to make you healthier and live longer. Right. Okay. So during this time of uh, brutal honesty. Yeah. You must. No, have not brutal. That's the important thing. It's radical honesty because brutal is only the negative. Right. Radical can be also, you can be radically positive. Like I really, like I remember during this, I called my mentor who I hadn't spoken to in 15 years. He's an editor at a small newspaper. And I was like, you know, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate all you taught me. So that's radical positive honesty. So it's a combination. Right. So if you have negative thoughts, yes. you, you have to express them now. Yes, yes, yes. And that is hard. And that is, it's also uh, not just hard, it's creepy. Right. Because like I I have a scene in the article where I go out to, I go out to lunch with an editor um, who was a woman and uh, 
like in the middle of lunch, I say, I just, I'm just thinking about how when we first met, you were wearing a, a sleeveless tank top. And that is like me too horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, luckily she, she wasn't offended and uh, she said something funny back. I can't remember. But, uh, but yeah, I get, I mean, and Brad Blanton, the founder of Radical Honesty, is honest about this. Is he in person? No. <laughs> It's not in prison, as far as I know. But he says part of the motivation for Radical on for inventing it, was to sleep with women. Because if you ask, if you go up to 100 women mm-hmm. as your opening line and say, I just want to let you know, I'm really attracted to you, and I, I would love to go back. Uh, you know, I would love to get a private room with you. Right. 99% will be... Offended or or slap you in the face, but there will be. Sure, you're playing the numbers. Yeah, playing the numbers. Yeah, which I, you know, obviously I do not endorse as a way to, especially (laughs) in the in the post Me Too era. Of course, but the the mind is a pack of wild horses. It could just like, if you've ever meditated, and I'm sure you have, you know, your mind just goes boom, 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 and just thinking of ridiculous stupid nonsensical things sometimes that's so true yeah our thoughts are often incredibly dumb and wrong so that was one of my arguments and nonsensical and nonsensical so to have to express that is so dangerous yeah Uh, and that's what i also that was an argument i made to to blanton i said i love my wife 90 percent of the time Mm -hmm. 10% of the time i hate her (laughs) because she's done something that just drives me crazy uh, why should I, those 10% of the time, say, God, I hate you, when I know it's going to pass, it's right. going to be a couple hours. And he's like, well, that's the authentic, then you won't be tiptoeing around like a pussy. And I was like, I don't know, I don't buy it, I don't buy it. But uh, and, and since you did this life experiment, you could see how it worked out. Right. Did it make your marriage more difficult? <laughs> <laughs> well, at times, I mean, as I say, the radical positive part, I do try to keep. And and that part is like being really honest and open about what you appreciate. And right. the whole idea of saying, you know, I really, I'm so grateful that you, you know, picked our kids up from the orthodontist. Like that right. kind of stuff is, is does help. You know what? I did another experiment that actually helped my marriage. Mm-hmm. And that was, this was suggested by readers because they had read my books like the, the Bible one where I was kind of a, a pain in the ass with the beard. <laughs> and uh, and they're like, you should make it up to your wife by doing a month of uh, just everything she wants you do. Like you are totally subservient uh-huh. like you were whipped do you uh, have to tell her that you're doing this oh i did tell her Uh-oh. i did t- and she got drunk with power like she i'll was, bet you uh, just want to see how sadistic she can get oh yeah exactly i mean it went from everything it was like you know it was like almost uh like a kate hudson movie like she just you know uh foot rubs and we did watch a lot of romantic comedies which uh-huh. i like so yeah. that's that wasn't too torturous but that also can kind of take the pressure off because you are not really making any decisions true yeah it was a bit but you know what was enlightening about it is she asked that we make a list of all the things that she does around the house and all the things that i do mm-hmm. and i honestly before that was under the delusion that we like split things pretty much 50 50 uh-huh. but just seeing the list it was like 80, 20. Like she did all these things that I didn't know happened. Mm-hmm. It was like um, 
Like, I thought that the liquid soap just refilled itself somehow. <laughs> I didn't know that someone had to go in and fill those containers. Right. So that was enlightening. And, you know, in a sense, it was bad for me because now I have to do more stuff around the house. Mm -hmm. But good for our marriage. She sounds like such an amazing woman. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Uh, yes, I am very lucky. I mean, she's also good for me in that I think I was born more the introvert and she is the extrovert. And she has pulled me a little towards the extrovert side, mm -hmm. which I appreciate because even though like she likes going out to dinner with friends and I, before, until you ruined all of her friends, <laughs> <laughs> until I told them all I didn't want to see them ever again. Uh, but yeah, one, I mean, it's interesting to see before I go out to dinner with friends, it still happens. I'm like, God damn it. I just want to stay at home and watch mm -hmm. Netflix. But when I'm out with the friends and having a good time and learning the new things and their perspective, I'm yeah. like, this is this is good. This is what I should be doing. Yeah, as a I have that feeling all of the time. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I was so excited to come and talk to you. But then today, I just like, I don't want to go and anywhere. <laughs> well, like, thank you for forcing yourself. To my come. radical honesty is I was <laughs> dreading this. <laughs> You are hilarious. And well, I hope... Uh, I, I'm starting to dread everything I do. And then after I do it, I'm just like, I feel so alive and I'm so glad that I did it. I know. And why can't we take that mentality and like, that is what I try to do. Like when I'm in that, God, I just don't want to leave. I tell myself, you know what? Your future self will be happy you did it so do a little favor to yourself i know that's just hours. so not living in the moment though <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true but maybe that's okay maybe uh, uh we shouldn't live in the moment who knows yeah i have so much to say right now okay i gotta slow my brain down so okay the radical honesty thing i think there's so much good to it but my personal philosophy is be wary of all extremes agree you know, I'm with you. I am never feeling like any extreme is good. It's always a happy medium. Yes. That's almost always the answer. I'm not even going to say always the answer. I'm uh -huh. going to say almost always well, the answer. Well, that's a classic moderation uh, in everything, including moderation. You want to be moderate about everything, right. including sometimes you don't want to be moderate. Because, like, you know, on Thanksgiving, you don't want to be moderate in eating. You just want to stuff your face because it's a good ritual to stuff your face. Once as long year. as you don't do it every day. Exactly. <laughs> I am with you 100%. And that's kind of the, the one of the overarching themes of my projects is you don't. I go to the extreme to show that mm. it's dangerous. But I try to find what uh, what is good and take that with me so that at the end... I can have some positive takeaways, but I don't have to stay with the extreme. And that was even in the book about health. Mm -hmm. Like one of the takeaways was it's unhealthy to be too obsessed with health. Like if you spend all your time at the gym or, or you know, running 14 miles a day, not just physically unhealthy, but it's mentally unhealthy because we are designed as humans to have Lots of interaction with other humans. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I've been saying that for years. The stress of worrying about what you're eating is going to kill you. There you go. 
I know. There, I mean, there, there's this doctor I talked to who actually has a word for it. He calls it orthorexia, being overly, it's like a eating disorder, being overly obsessed with healthy food, orthorexia. I'm glad um, there's a term for it. Yeah. So go ahead and eat so, all the crap you want. That's the takeaway. Happy medium. Yes, exactly. Happy medium. So you, I'm glad to hear that you dread doing things as well, even though you know you know intellectually that it's going to be good for you right so do you have any tools i mean you said you you know that future aj will be happy that you did that yeah yeah is that what you do you just be like all right i'm dreading this but i'm gonna drag my feet i'm gonna sag my ass out there and then i'll be happy later i i do that is part of it another part is just forcing yourself to act as if so, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, or fake it till you feel it. Right. I, I mean, I to give you an example, when I was writing the health book, I was it was just horrible because it was such a big topic, and I was like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Also, I was like, um, you, you know, I hate exercise. So it's like, <laughs> what the hell am I doing? But uh, so I would wake up every morning in despair. But uh, what I did was I forced myself to act as if. I were confident and as if I were really excited about the book. So I might call my publisher and say, you know what, we should have a big party when the book comes out and we'll serve kale martinis and it'll be like the healthiest book party ever. Uh-huh. And uh, Or then I'd like set up uh, interviews with five doctors and by acting as if I were, were confident, right. my, my brain caught up after like two or three hours and I began to feel a little more confident. And it is a, a super powerful strategy, uh, and it's the basis for cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, right, like, CBT. Yeah, which yeah. I love. And like, act your way into a new way of thinking instead of think your way into a new way of acting. Mm, that's I didn't, good. I didn't make that up. Right. Do you study, have you studied that uh, NLP kind of thing? I've not gotten that into NLP. But mm-hmm. Have you? A little bit. I don't know much about it. What should I know? Well, you basically just kind of like what you're saying, except you reprogram your reactions to things. Mm. So instead of just reacting how you might always react, you consciously think about how you want to react. And then you're basically just reprogramming your brain. So you visualize that, like you visualize a uh, Yeah, you're basically just programming your brain. All right, I'll try it. Yeah, I mean, that's what I try to do, like when I'm dreading doing something, even though I know I'm going to be happy I did it. Right. So you visualize, you like... Yeah, I guess it's it's pretty similar to what you said earlier, just knowing that I'll be happy when I do it. Right. Well, I I think it is very powerful, this idea of the future self. And I've read studies that the more you think about your future self, the more, the better you act. You you know, you act more morally, you act more health. And I took this when I did the health book, I took it very literally. Mm -hmm. So I, there are these programs on the internet, you take your photo and you can digitally age it. Right. So I digitally aged myself until I was like saggy cheeked and gray hair and looked like shit. And then I printed that out and put it over my desk. And sometimes if I was like feeling lazy or like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work out today, I would look at my old self and I'd be like, you know what? I should do it for that guy. Why? Because it reminds you of your mortality? Yeah. It reminds you of your mortality. And that guy, because the idea is there are two selves. There's the present self that just want to sit, sit on the couch and eat Cheetos. And then there's the future self that wants that present self to like take care of. So the future self 
will be around. And that's the idea. It's like, I want to be around to see my kids grow up. Like I, you know, I do want, right. So it's not like, that must help when you were doing the health book. It does. Because I am, you know, I am married now, so I've kind of given up, and I don't like, I don't care if I look good or have abs, much to my wife's dismay, but I do want to live. We'll edit that part out. <laughs> we'll make a special version just for her. Yes. Uh, so yeah, you, yeah, yeah, I do want to be around, so that is like, that is a good motivation. I find thinking about uh, others is weirdly at this point in my life more motivating than thinking like, oh, I'm going to look hot. Because looking hot to me, yeah. that doesn't get me nothing. Like, uh, gets you better reactions from people. People probably give you free coffee. You know what? You're right. <laughs> you are absolutely... I mean, I mean, it, it has been proven in tests that attractive right. people get more things. I, You know what? I, yes, you're right. I take it back because, yeah, I think this uh, lookism, like this... Mm -hmm. uh, this obsession with attraction attractiveness is is a real problem and uh yeah ugly people are definitely discriminated against and you know what not just ugly people ugly animals yeah i feel that like sure you know if you go to any pet adoption place it's always the ugly weird looking pets that are that never are adopted oh that's interesting i was thinking more just like what gets eaten like you eat, <laughs> like you you right. feel fine eating like a turkey or a chicken because they're ugly, but right. like a swan. I mean, it's just another bird, but you would never eat a swan or a songbird because they're right. so attractive. And and dogs are so adorable, but like why why should we prefer to eat a cow? Cows are ugly, yeah. but they they are you know they I can have feel. I have that problem with mice because I think mice are cute. Like That's they, interesting. They remind me of little baby kittens. <laughs> so do you so do you keep mice around the apartment? Are you okay with that? We did have a mice infestation and I had I had a problem. I was like it was a paradox for me. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you end up doing? I mean, there it's gross. You just I had to get rid of them, you know, yeah, yeah, because they they poop germs, all over and right. it's not healthy. So how did you end up doing it? You know, the traps. and But actually, that was very temporary. What actually worked was peppermint Dr. Bronner soap. They do not like peppermint. Really? So if you just put peppermint soap all over where they're coming in, they won't come in anymore. All right, I'm going to try it. Do you have I mouse? love peppermint. <laughs> yeah, I, and it makes the place smell good. Yeah, we on and off have mouse problems. I mean, at one point, my son, who's very uh, pro-animals, convinced me to get a... Um, one of those humane mouse traps, yeah. Which like the mouse goes in and the door shuts, and then you can let him out in the park. The problem was like I put one, and then I kind of totally forgot about it, and oh. so it caught a mouse, and then like basically the mouse starved to death, and I caused so much more suffering yes. with this. So I was a total asshole, and it totally backfired. First, you put him in solitary confinement. <laughs> exactly. Not good for his <laughs> mental health. Not good. So yeah. Yeah, that. you drove him crazy, and then you oh, starved him to death. <laughs> I know. It was terrible. I do that. Yeah, so if I do that again, I'm going to be much more aware yeah if you and, do have a mouse problem just put peppermint soap all okay over. that's good that sounds much more humane mm -hmm. like, it actually worked yeah good getting back to what we were talking about before with dreading everything mm -hmm. another conundrum is that i went so if i did that if i did what you do and i put a picture of old gary 
on my wall. Yeah. And I thought about old Gary. Old Gary wants younger Gary to experience as much as life, right. as much as life has to offer. Yeah, yeah. But now, where I am now, I look back and all the amazing things I've done, and it's like, those are just memories. Huh, interesting. What good is that? Really? I think memories are the only thing that's good. Like, I see sometimes my life is just, I'm a collector of good memories. Yeah. And... um does that make it worth it? I don't know. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because I another experiment I did relates to this somewhat. I, I tried to do what uh, is called life logging, which is uh-huh. this idea that you should record everything in your life. And I went the full Monty uh, and recorded. I, I had a little video camera in my ear for about three months recording every moment of my life wow and the idea was you know first of all if my like if my kids did something cute i would like i would have i would always have that memory mm-hmm. um but it was also because our memories suck so much and yep. we like we distort we forget but we also what we remember we distort so it was partly because my wife when I have an argument with her, often it's about like, you didn't tell me that, or that's not what you said. Right. So I'm like, this will be great. I can like say, well, let's go to the videotape. Let's rewind and see what actually happened. Yeah. And, uh, and I was able to do that a couple of times and it was, it was horrible. It was like a disaster. Cause and why did it go poorly? Well, either way it was going to suck. Cause if I was wrong and she, you know, then i like that was sucked for me right right but if i was right then she just got angrier right and no one likes to be called out no one likes to be called and i video i remember i videotaped this one time where like we got in a fight she was screaming at me and i was like you know what this will be instructive let's watch the fight and see what we did wrong and what we can do did she she agreed to that she agreed to it and like looking at yourself screaming at someone is such a traumatic like she was so traumatized by that she's like fuck this i am never doing that again (laughs) and then the article came out and the today i had written about that part and the today show wanted me on and they're like all right well we're gonna need that videotape of your wife screaming at her you and I was like, all right. And my wife's like, are you kidding me? I am not going on national television, like looking like a maniac because <laughs> no one looks good when they're screaming. Like right. you look insane. But everyone's done it. Everyone's done it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, So did you not bring the tape? Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm still married. If I had brought the tape, that would be the end of it. <laughs> that's good. I'm glad you valued your marriage over <laughs> the TV yeah, show. I do. <laughs> It was close, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Was it before Megyn Kelly on the Today Show? (laughs) Mm. You know what is weird? What? (laughs) Megyn Kelly wrote in her autobiography, which my mother-in-law read, I didn't read it, how much she loved the radical honesty piece. Uh, In Esquire. So you probably helped get her fired. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I felt like... like, I also was thinking, like, yeah, if you have thoughts that are, are not good... Don't be radically honest with them. Like, so I think there was a sense she was trying to be radically honest. I'm just telling it like it is. Right. And it's like, no, that's not always the best way. Yeah. Especially on national television. There's definitely a lot more good than bad, I would think, with the radical honesty. Bad than good or good than bad? A lot more good than bad. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to quantify. 
Uh, if you have that part of your brain that can censor and understand tactfulness. Right. I agree. I mean, it did, it did make my life better in overall. Like the things that I took away, like I told you, radical positive honesty, mm -hmm. radically um, just owning up to your fuck-ups uh, is right. so freeing. Uh, and, and also the excuses. That's the third thing that changed. Like, you know, if I really don't want to go out... I can just say, you know what, I, I just need to spend some time at home with my kids or time at home and catch up, catch my breath, instead of coming up with, like, you know, oh, it's my, um, it's my grandmother's, you know, 80th anniversary or whatever. I yeah, feigning some illness. Right, exactly. Yeah. That kind of thing is, is the, like, like I was getting up before, it's the problem, the root of many problems in relationships. You kind of just push stuff under the rug right feelings so i imagine a lot of your relationships kind of got a lot better after the radical honesty it's true it was interesting there was one scene where i um i was having lunch with a friend of mine and uh and i forget what we were talking about but i oh he brought up his wife and i said you know i just want to be honest I was really insulted that you didn't invite me to your wedding. Right. And that I, kind of thing. Right. It can strengthen a relationship. It did. And I was honest. I was like, I would not have gone because it was in Vermont and I just didn't feel like schlepping up there. But I was annoyed that you didn't invite me. And he responded, but you didn't invite me to your wedding, which ah, is before his. And right. I was like, is that true? I was like, wait, I would. Are you sure? And then I went and I checked. And I didn't, and it it was so re it was so like um, revealing and liberating that we we had this talk, and mm -hmm. now that grudge is gone, yep. and we are much you know much closer friends probably. I think so. Yeah, I have a friend that was engaged, and he called all of his friends. He made the rounds to tell say I am engaged, and I knew the woman that he was engaged with, and they had come to my house and spent a weekend, and it was horrible. <laughs> what was horrible about it? Their relationship sucked. Because like they, they were, were fighting all the time? They were worse as a couple than they were as individuals. Interesting. You know that phenomenon? Uh-huh. So, so what did you do? When he called, I said, oof, that's, you know, I'm your friend, so I have to tell you that I really don't think it's a good idea. Interesting. And how did he react to that? He said, well, okay, uh, okay, well, we're going ahead with it anyway. Thank you. Uh, that's it. Interesting. He was defensive. And he didn't know how to react. Right. So then fast forward about a month later, he called, has to make the rounds. He's calling all his friends again, saying, the wedding is off. It didn't work out. In the planning, we ended up fighting too much. And now <laughs> uh, she's a stranger to so me. So you were happy that you did that. And he said to me, Gary, of all my friends and family, you are the only person that told me that I shouldn't marry her. It's a very interesting now, I have a friend who actually, just to provide the other perspective, he was, um, he was getting married to this woman who's a friend of my, my wife's, and his best friend said, I don't like that woman. She's not good enough for you. Ooh. And they, they ended up getting married. and He wasn't invited to the wedding? <laughs> he was, weirdly. Uh -huh. But he had told... My 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 wife's friend knew about it because her fiance told her, and now she just hates this guy, right? With pretty good reason. So uh, 
So that, that it, is the risk. That is the risk, exactly. But yeah, what yeah. are we supposed to do as friends? I know, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I it don't is. know the answer, but uh, I'm glad it worked out for you. That sounds like <laughs> you made the right decision. I, I guess for me. You mentioned earlier that you have a mentor. Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. I did mention that. Mm -hmm. uh, this guy, well, I would call him one of the mentor, my mentors. Um, just, just the concept of a mentor. Most people don't have mentors. Right. And most people really should have mentors. Interesting. Do you have a mentor? <laughs> I don't. And I think it's a great idea. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe you can apply for a mentorship. Like you can. How do you, how do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I would need a mentor for kind of like all the different avenues in my life. Right. You want like a romantic mentor. Sure. And like a, a career, career mentor. mentor. Yeah. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. Like making it a little more um, conscious in searching for your mentor. Mentor.com. Mentor.com. Sign it's, me up. It's the new business. <laughs> well, I will say I did have a mentee. Uh, I mm -hmm. was a mentor for someone who, and I think it's, it's not a lifetime position because he is now surpassed me in, um, in success, career success. You were mentoring I'm, him just in career stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. he didn't need... Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story quickly because it's kind of interesting. It was when I was doing the year of living biblically. And one of the worst rules in the Old Testament is that slavery is allowed. And I was like, what the hell am Whoa. I going to do this? So this kid, he was a freshman at Brown University, mm -hmm. which is my alma mater. So he emailed me this actually very funny creative email saying he wanted to be my a writer and he wanted to be my assistant, uh, my intern over the summer. And I was like, well, I guess like unpaid internship is kind of the closest thing to slavery that I can condone. So, all right, come be my intern if I can call you my biblical slave. Uh -huh. And uh, <laughs> and he's like, all right. And I felt guilty about not paying him. So I took him to a... Um, on a trip to Jerry Falwell's church, which was part of a research I was doing for the book. And he was fascinated. And on the way back, he said, you know, uh, what if I transferred from Brown for a semester and spent a semester in, you know, the Bible Belt, a semester in Jesus land yeah. and wrote about it? Uh, I transferred from Brown to Liberty University because that's Jerry Falwell's. That's the most conservative university in America. Yeah. Uh, like, you can't watch R-rated movies. You can't hold hands with, with women. Uh, so I was like, that's an interesting idea. And I helped him write a book proposal, and I got it to my agent, and, and he got a book deal. And he wrote the book as a college student, and it was wonderful. It was, very, it was great because it wasn't like... Uh, one-sided hatchet job. It was subtle. It showed the good and the bad of this way of life. But, uh, and so he was sort of, um, uh, I considered him uh, my my protege, my, my mentee, and he was very nice to say that I was his mentor. But what I love is he's totally surpassed me because now he's a columnist at the New York Times and he's on the daily, their new, their podcast all the time talking about, because his beat is crazy. His beat is like um, online Nazis and the alt-right. Oh, I probably heard him. Kevin Roos. Okay, yeah. Great writer. Mm -hmm. The book was, by the way, The Unlikely Disciple, if anyone wants to pick it up, highly mm -hmm. recommend. But uh, then th that's kind of the best thing you could ask for as a mentor. Yeah, yeah, I know. I want, as a parent, too. You yeah, want your children exactly. to be better than you. I know. I, I mean, intellectually, if I had known, if I would have predicted, 
that he was more successful than me, I'm like, oh man, I will be bitter. But weirdly, I'm not. I'm just happy for him. Yeah, that's what you should want. I know. I don't know why. I think it's because my ambition gets lower and lower every year. Does like, it? It's just like slowly frittering away, which I like. Well, you have a new book that is just coming out or just came out when this podcast airs. True, true. I mean, I still do try to do stuff. Yeah. yeah. How do you keep your passion up? I mean, to do these life experiments requires so much passion. Right. Well, that's true. I mean, two things. One, radically honestly, this book was due like four years ago. So <laughs> it's not like I'm a, I'm a machine. And secondly... Luckily, I'm able to choose projects that I am already passionate about. Like, so I am, you know, if someone asked me to write a book about learning to play the French horn, I'd be like, you know what, that just doesn't excite me. Um, but, but so I was able to come up with a bunch of ideas and pitch them to my publisher. And they're like, well, let's do this one. And it is something I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with, which is, which is like gratitude, right. just this idea of, uh, the book is called Thanks a Thousand, and I go around the world and try to thank a thousand people who had even the tiniest role in making my morning cup of coffee a reality. So, you know, the, the obvious ones like the, the farmer and the barista, but like the totally non-obvious six degrees one, like, you know, the, the truck driver who drove the beans, but the guy who made the road for the truck and the guy who painted the yellow lines on the road. The pallets that carried the coffee. Oh, the pallets are huge. <laughs> yeah. I never knew that. Pallets, pallets are such a big, a big part of all of our lives. They run the world. Yeah. Like everything in this room at one point, except for me and you, was probably on a pallet, which are like not the, not the tongue pallet or the paint pallet, the, the sort of the big plat wooden platforms mm -hmm. and yeah and they saved the world pallets because we use them the allies used them in world war ii to ship uh supplies before the uh the axis had y figured it out yeah your book is really kind of similar to what a stand-up comedian does because hmm. as a stand-up comedian you have to break apart everything you have to observe something mm. and like break apart every little essence of it I love that. And that's exactly what you did with your book. I mean, most people don't look at their cup of coffee and think of everything that went into it. Right. The farmers, the lids. Yeah. The graphic designer that made the lids, the little emblems on top of the lids. Oh, sure. Little logos and stuff. Well, that, I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy, so that is nice to hear that angle. Uh, and I agree. I love the idea of looking at things that we take for granted, like the thousands of people involved mm -hmm. in every tiny little thing we do. And, you know, I think it had some positive impact on me. It made me more grateful. And I talk about this, speaking of stand-up, I talk in the book about how I believe there are two sides to me and probably everyone. There's the Larry David side and the Mr. Rogers side. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they are like constantly at war, like the cynical pessimist and the positive optimist so my uh, the this gratitude project was sort of an attempt to bulk up the uh the mr rogers side get him ripped right so that he can take on the larry david right so when you're feeling like larry david you just don't write exactly and listen i love larry david i would much rather watch the larry david show than a mr rogers episode right but I would not rather live inside Larry David's head. 
Mm. I would much rather live inside Mr. Rogers' head. Good so that's point. the distinction. Yeah. When you're writing, are you writing more than one book at once? Do you switch books, like depending on your mood? Oh, that's a good point. Maybe I should. Maybe that. Yeah, because be then when efficient. you're feeling more negative, you can write that book. I like that. Well, what I think, I guess, the difference is, but all of my books have the positive and negative in them. So. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm in a bad mood, I can write the cranky part. Right. And then when I'm in a good mood, I can write the uh, the happier part. And what I think, one thing I have learned by being an old man is that I will, like right now I'm in a pretty good place, but I know it's not forever. I'm going to like descend. There's going to be, you know, I'm going to be depressed. Uh, I don't know when or why, but... Uh, so I, I don't get too cocky when I'm happy. And right. I and when I am depressed, I'm like, you know what? Th- this is not forever. I am going to come out of it. So I'm able to step back and be like, this is not permanent. This is... Yeah, you, you've been there before. Right. And you know that it's just feelings. Yeah. And exactly. it could change. Just feelings. I like that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I tell myself is like, all right, I'm feeling depressed right now. Mm-hmm. But nothing has changed. I was happy yesterday. Mm. And nothing in my life has changed. I have no reason to be depressed now when I was happy yesterday and everything's <laughs> the same. Exactly. So then I just sit with that thought. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Well, no. you know what I also think of is, I mean, it, when I get six and a half hours of sleep before versus when I get eight hours of sleep, it's crazy. Like six and a half hours, sometimes I'll come out and like, the world is horrible and like and i'm like but i i realized you know what you had a shitty night's sleep that's why your brain is saying this right and like tomorrow you won't feel like that right so it is funny how much uh you know how much how how important it is to sort of step back and realize your brain is messed up and don't believe everything that yeah it tells you and it's funny because then you have two brains you have the brain that's thinking about the other brain. Exactly. That's being stupid. I agree. And I, <laughs> Smart that's brain important. versus dumb brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I was uh, I was just thinking about this the other day. The um, I forget his name, but he was one of the original Saturday Night Live writers. Uh, he worked with Billy Crystal a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you remember his name? I will not remember his name. Anyway, he, uh, I once did a panel with him, and, and I thought his... He had an interesting metaphor that writers especially, but maybe everyone should have two heads, mm-hmm. like the head on the shoulder. So you, that's the head that's observing life the, uh, and then the head that's living it. So right. like you always should be able to step back and be like, that's crazy. Like what just happened? Let me, uh, you know. Yep. That's kind of what you have to do as a stand-up comedian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it was very stand-up comedy or as like especially comedy. You yeah. have to have that other head. Yeah, you have to be living it, but also a step back and observing what's going on. Exactly. Like Jerry Seinfeld, he doesn't just get peanuts and eat peanuts. He goes, <laughs> "What's the deal with these peanuts?" <laughs> exactly. I remember once I um, the worst gig of my life was. I had to do warm up for Stan, for uh, Jerry Seinfeld. You did. That sounds like a great gig. <laughs> well, you would think so, but think about it this way. And maybe you know, my Mister Rogers, I should say it's a great gig, but it was um, my synagogue, and uh, it was like a fundraiser, and that, and Jerry Seinfeld agreed to come on 
but only for half an hour. He mm-hmm. would only do a half an hour of material. But they were charging people like, you know, 500 bucks or whatever. So they had to have at least an hour of show. And they're like, you know, I belong to the synagogue. I don't go often. But they're like, well, you, why don't you get up there and tell some stories? And so, like, you know, everyone shows up and like, I get on stage and everyone's like, wait a sec. That's not Jerry Seinfeld. That's Did you just tell them you're just opening for Jerry? <laughs> Jerry's coming, I swear. Well, that's what I said. I was like, don't worry. Jerry will be here. I, I know I'm not Jerry. You know, I am Jewish, but I'm not Jerry. <laughs> He'll be here, but I just have to tell you a few Everyone's things. Everyone's like, he looks so different than he does on TV. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I should have pulled, tried to do that. <laughs> to throw matzo balls at you. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was tough. It was tough. It was tough. Um, and he was funny because he lived a block away from the synagogue. So he said, uh, "This." He came in literally like five seconds after I finished my set, and he got on stage and he's like, "Wasn't that great, everybody? That was AJ Jacobs. He's <laughs> yeah. so funny." He had not seen a word I said. Right. What a pro. <laughs> and then at the end of his set, he's like, "I love this gig because." I am going to be in bed in my apartment before you all file out of this theater. <laughs> and it was true. Right. He just like left uh, yeah, out he, the side he, door. He juggles that positive, negative thing. That is true. That's a good point. He does. Yeah. He seems like he's probably somewhere in that brain pretty miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, yeah, I mean, it helps at some points to be miserable too, to come up with comedy material i would think yeah well i think creativity in general kind of for some reason when you're feeling more negative you're more creative Mm. right although i wonder sometimes i feel the opposite i do sometimes feel that way um but then sometimes i feel if i'm i'm too down i can't write because i'm just so annoyed you're just and yeah you're just done but like music for example you know, people write the best songs when their heart has just been broken. Right, blues. That's the whole like the blues. Yeah, mm-hmm. Blues. It's true. And happy music is horrible music. What is happy? <laughs> Give me some examples aside from the Wiggles. I think like bare naked ladies or something like just mm. like real happy Hootie and the Blowfish maybe, <laughs> Christian rock oh, maybe. But maybe that's maybe we should get over that bias because maybe it would be better for the world if people enjoyed happy music. Like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Right, ba, right. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. Maybe that is better. Like and we, we fetishize, we worship the negative because it just seems cooler. Well, one of my early jobs was I worked at the Warfield Theater in San Francisco. And you know, I worked so many concerts. And the Bare Naked Ladies played, and their music is very happy and up, and the singer's smiling the whole time. There were more fights <laughs> in that concert than Slayer. Interesting. <laughs> than like every the metal metalheads are very peaceful people. <laughs> and Bare Naked Ladies, for some reason, so many different fights broke out. I think people saw all the happiness, and they just got this adverse reaction to it. Interesting. Yeah, they were jealous. They're like, Maybe they were jealous. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yes. All right, I will stay away from Bare Naked Ladies concerts. <laughs> Only listen to heavy metal. <laughs> so what are you going to do now? You, you just finished that book. It's just coming out. You have a new project in the works? Well, I am. I'm at, I've got this one thing that's super time-consuming. As part of promoting the Thanks a Thousand book, the, mm-hmm. the gratitude book, I said that I would write a thousand handwritten personalized notes to readers Mm -hmm. um 
so anyone who goes on my website can fill out this form and like and and they can tell me what to what they say like i because i want to personalize it and it's been it's been wonderful and a pain in the ass simultaneously you're like, only doing a thousand right well, I've actually expanded it because I hit a thousand and I'm going to do another few hundred because uh-huh. um, I actually, you know, as I say, it's a pain in the ass, but also I love it because it's like, you know, as a writer, as a stand up, I'm very jealous. You get immediate feedback. Right. Oh, people are laughing. Oh, that's funny. Like I'm sitting in a room. I don't know whether it's connecting with people. So this is a really lovely people are writing, you know, what they what struck them and they're asking for personalized. I've gotten a lot of interesting requests. Uh, a lot of people ask me to thank their dog. So I'm writing notes to their dog. Uh-huh. Thanking. One guy asked me to thank his ex-wife, uh, which I thought was nice, like mm-hmm. a conscious uncoupling. Uh, and then just weird requests like, please draw me a taco. All right, I'll draw you a taco. I don't care. So you're writing these notes and then you're mailing physically mailing yeah, to physically them? Yeah, physically mailing mm-hmm. them. And, uh, and that has been... <laughs> way more time consuming than it should be yeah. but uh, but also fulfilling so that has delayed me a little but I do want to write another book I'm, I'm figuring it out I am particularly obsessed with truth the concept of truth mm, and uh, very fitting for our times yeah exactly truth decay as uh, there's a book called <laughs> truth decay which I love uh-huh. not that I like puns too much but, yeah. but I thought it was a, a clever one Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. But yeah, like, how do we know what we know? How do we know what's true? And it's just, I think, going to get more and more tricky with uh, deep fake videos are terrifying to me. Right. That you can use software to get Obama to say Heil Hitler. And yeah. And it's impossible to say whether it's real or not. So how, how are we going to navigate the world when we're in this epistemological crisis? And also people believing what they want to believe oh yeah well that's what we're talking about the motivated reasoning i think is the biggest one of the biggest problems in the world yeah it's like the mother of all cognitive biases i would love to see this book come out right before the election of 2020 i was thinking that i gotta get off my ass like (laughs) we gotta end this interview so you can write (laughs) you gotta save the world (laughs) we do have to end it because i have to pee yeah me too actually radically honest about the peeing that's good Uh, yeah but i loved talking that was super fun yeah it flew by thanks so much for uh, your time oh thank you gary (laughs) 